Welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of Reading by Flashlight. I'm Allison, and in this episode, we will be going over Chapters 25 through 36 of The Inheritance Games, written by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. So, thanks for joining up as we go over chapters 25 through 36 of The Inheritance Games, written by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. If you haven't watched episodes 1 and 2, I encourage you to go do that before you continue on. If you already have, that's great. But also, in the first episode, if you haven't watched it yet, there is a short introduction to the book where I talk a little bit about the author and what the basic summary of the book is about, so if you're interested in that, that's in the first episode. But here we go, on to chapters 25 through 36. So in last week's episode, we left off on chapter 24, and the last thing we heard in chapter 4 was Thea, a girl who goes to the school that Avery is now enrolled in, told her that the last girl who went to the Hawthorne house ended up dying. So chapter 25 starts off with Avery saying, I left the cafeteria so as soon as I choked down my food, unsure where I was going to hide until my next class, and equally uncertain that Thea had been lying. So all she can remember is in her head were Thea's words. The last girl who spent hour after hour in the house, she died. Then she runs into Xander, and he says, You look like you could use a robotic dragon. Here. And he, like, just puts one in her hands. And she says, What am I supposed to do with this? And Xander said, well, that all really depends on how attached you are to your eyebrows. So then she's like, what am I supposed to do with a dragon? And so Xander asks her if she's hungry and the reflectory is back this way. And then she's like, reflectory? And Xander's like, it's basically prep school for cafeteria. And then Avery says, prep school is not a language. And then Xander says, next you'll be telling me that French isn't one either. Then Xander asks her about what she found. She and Jameson had found out, and she's like, oh, he knew that he had shown me his letter or something because she, he knew that Jameson had shown her his. And she, um, Avery said, Jameson thinks it's a clue. And now at this point, they're just walking around. And Xander said, I used to lose. On Saturday mornings when my grandfather set us to a challenge, I always lost. I was the youngest, the least competitive, the most apt to be distracted by scones or complex machinery. And then he says, but while my brothers were trying to take one another down in the race to the finish line, I was generously sharing my scones with the old man. He was awfully chatty, full of stories and facts and contradictions. Would you like to hear one? And then she said, a contradiction? And Xander says, a fact, as he wiggles his one eyebrow. He didn't have a middle name. And then he's like, What? He signed my letter with a middle name, though. And then Xander said, My grandfather was born Tobias Hawthorne. He had no middle name. So then she starts to wonder why he had signed Jameson's letter Tobias Tattersall Hawthorne, but he'd signed hers with three initials, T-T-H. And Avery asked Xander, If I asked you to show me your letter, would you? He said, Now where would the fun in that be? You'll be safe from Thea in here. There's some places even she dares not go. And then she glances through the door and says, the library? Xander says, the archive. It's another prep school word for library. Not a black, bad place to hang out if you're looking to get time alone. And then as she walks through, she says she starts to get the feeling that she was missing something. And then all she can remember is the sentence. The last girl who spent hour after hour at that house, she died. 
chapter 26. So immediately the archive, which is what they call the library, she says it's more like a university library than one that belonged to a high school. It was full of stained glass and archways, countless shelves with books of every kind. And at the center of the room, there were tables, state-of-the-art with lights built into their tables and enormous magnifying glasses attached to the side. And all the tables were empty except for one. So there was only one other person in there. It says, a girl sat with her back to me. She had auburn hair, a darker red than I'd ever seen on a person. I sat down several tables away from her, facing the door. The room was silent except for the sound of the girl turning the pages of the book she was reading. So she drew out both of her letters and Jameson's letters from the bag, and she's looking at the middle names with the initials, and she uses a magnifying glass for them. The handwriting matched, but something was still didn't feel right about it. So then she asks Alyssa, she texted her, you know, did something happen with the middle name here? And she says, legal name change years ago, but we're good. But Xander had told her that his grandfather was born Tobias Hawthorne with no middle name. So why would he have told her that at all? Even though now it wasn't true because he had legally changed it. So then she brings the light and the magnifying glass down to the letters. And the paper was thick enough that the light didn't shine through it, but the magnifying glass made it like blow up 10 times, times its normal size. And she's looking at every single letter to try and find details. There's a slight hooks on the R's. And she notices it that there's a little bit of space between two of the letters in his middle name. And it makes tatters all. So when she put the magnifying glass to it, it looked like two separate words. Tatters all. And she's like, as in, he left them all in tatters? If Tobias Hawthorne had legally changed his name to add in the tattersall, that strongly suggested he'd chosen the name himself. But to what end? So then she remembered that there was that girl in the room, so she looked up, but the red-haired girl was gone. So then she decides to text Alyssa and say, when did TH change his name? Did the name change correspond to the moment he had decided to leave his family in the billionaire version of Tatters? To leave everything to a stranger he didn't know? Then she gets a text, and at first she thinks it's from Alyssa, but it's actually from Jameson. And it says, I see it now, Mr. Girl, do you? And so she's looking around like, is he here? No. And then she types back the middle name. He says, no, the sign off. And then she remembers the sign off of Jameson's letter. Don't judge. But what did it mean? Don't judge the Hawthorne patriarch for dying without ever telling him that his family was sick. Don't judge the games that he was playing from at beyond the grave. Don't judge the way that he had pulled the rug out from underneath his daughters and grandsons. And then she looks at the letter and reads it from the beginning. Better the devil you know than the one you don't. Or is it? Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. All that glitters is not gold. Nothing is certain but death and taxes. There but for the grace of God I go. And then she th notices it. They're all proverbs. They're all like messages except the very last one, which said, don't judge. And then James, and then Avery asks Jameson, does don't judge a book by its cover mean anything to you? And he said, very good, Ayers. It sure does. What does it mean? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Let's go on to chapter 27. Let's just ignore the fact that I'm talking to myself. Chapter 27, it starts off saying, We could be making something out of nothing, I said hours later. Jameson and I stood in the Hawthorne House Library, looking up at the shelves circling the room, filled with books from 18-foot ceilings to floor. 
Jameson says, Hawthorne born or Hawthorne made, there's always something to be played. Everything is something in the Hawthorne house. So then she asks, well, what do you think we're looking for? And he says, what do you think you're, we're looking for, Ayers? Then Avery says, well, if the clue is a book by its cover, then I'd guess that we're looking for either a book or a cover, or maybe a mismatched in between them, something that doesn't belong on a book or a book that doesn't belong on a cover. And then Jameson said, a book that doesn't match its cover. And then Avery says, I could be wrong. And then they look at all, all of the books on the shelf, and Avery says, this could take hours. Then Jameson smiles and said, don't be ridiculous. This could take days. You know, in a way, that'd kind of be cool to have, like, a library that's literally filled with so many books. It takes days just for you to, like, look at all them. But the fact that they're looking for one particular book out of probably, like, tens of thousands of books just in this one room... No. So they've worked until dinner. They didn't even leave for dinner. And so they're looking for books. And Avery says, every once in a while, I'd flip a book open to find it signed by Stephen King or J.K. Rowling. Dude, J.K. Rowling? Stephen King, those were like big time offers. You got them. I'd take a copy, please. Thank you. Okay. So they're taking the covers off of the book. They're making sure that the covers match the book. And then they have to put the covers back on and grab another book. Then Avery says, what if we're just wasting our time? And Jameson says, time is money, Eris. You have plenty to waste. She says, stop calling me that. And he says, I have to call you something. And you didn't seem to appreciate Mystery Girl or the abbreviated version. And then they start to talk about school. And Avery says, I met a girl, Thea. And Jameson snorts and says, Thea isn't a girl. She's a whirlwind wrapped in a hurricane wrapped in steel. And every girl in the school follows her lead, which means I'm persona non grata and have been for a year. What'd she say to you? And persona non grata means like a unwelcomed or like uninvited person, just so if you don't know. So then she's kind of like, why should I tell you? And he's like, Avery. And that's the first time he's ever actually used her real name. And she said, Thea kept talking about this house, about what it must be like for me to live here. And then that's all she said, which was technically true, but she didn't say the whole thing. And then Jameson said, is it still a lie if you're masking what matters, but what you're saying is technically true? And so she knows that, that he knows that she's not saying everything. That Okay, that was a tongue twister. And she says, Thea said that there was a girl and that she died. And then Jameson said, before breaking the silence, said her name was Emily. Okay, so there's an Emily person that died in the house, and she says, I'm sorry, we should call it a night. And then Jameson said, okay, same time tomorrow? He said, we're making good progress. And then Jameson said, not really. Don't hate me, though, when I tell you this. And she's like, why would I hate you? And he said, there's a slight chance that we might not be done by the week. And she says, why not? And he says, this isn't the only library in Hawthorne House. Like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got a library that probably has tens of thousands of books in it, and you've got more? Like, can I come over? I'll just live in your library. Thank you. I can build a house out of books, and I'll build a throne out of books and pages. Okay, on to chapter 28.
And she literally has the same reaction that I did. How many libraries did this place have? So then she starts to head towards her wing, but Oren catches her and says, turning in for the night? She says, no, there's no way I could sleep, Not no way I could even close my eyes. So she explored. She found a theater, not a movie theater, but like one you would find at like an opera house. And the next room over was filled with musical instruments. And there was one that looked like a violin, but it had an S carved to one side of the strings. And someone said, that's a Stradivarius. I have no idea what that is. I'm gonna look. Okay. Um. Okay, we're going to see. It's is one of the violins, violas, cellos, and other string instruments built by members of the Italian family Stradivari, particularly someone. And it's worth. There's one that's worth over sixteen million dollars. Goodness. They're worth millions because they're a symbol of an instrument that has stood the test of time. They were made in the late 17th century and they're still prized today and sold for millions of dollars. Only 650 are alive. Or not alive, but like still not ruined or broken or anything. Like, that's a lot of money for a vi basically a violin. Okay, back to the story. So the one who said that was Grayson. And he said, you should be careful, Miss Grams. And he says, and she says, I'm not going to break anything. And he repeats his sentence and says, you should be careful with Jameson. The last thing my brother need is whatever this is. And then she glares at Orion, Orin, who is like standing somewhere behind her. And she says, this being me or the terms of your grandfather's will. I wasn't the one who upended their lives. But here I was, and Tobias Hawthorne wasn't. Logically, I knew that my best option was to avoid confrontation. This was a big house. Then Grayson said, My mother hasn't left her room in days. Xander nearly blew himself up. Jameson is one bad idea away from ruining his life, and none of us can leave the estate without being hounded by the press. The property damage they've caused alone. Then Avery said, Do you think it's easy for me? Do you think I want to be stalked by the paparazzi? And Grayson said, you want the money. How could you not, growing up the way that you did? And then Avery said, like, you don't want the money, growing up the way you did. Maybe I haven't had everything handed to me my entire life, but... Then Grayson said, you have no idea how ill-prepared you are. And then she says, you don't know me. And then Grayson says, I'll know everything about you soon enough. My access to funds might be somewhat limited right now, but the Hawthorne name still means something. There's always people who will do me favors. I'll find everything about you, your sister, your father, your mother. And she says, don't talk about my mother. And then Grayson says, stay away from my family then, Miss Grams. And she says, or what? And then she's getting really mad and it just comes out. Or what happened to Emily will happen to me. And then Grayson jerked to a halt, every muscle in his body taut. Don't you say her name. No. And then Oren appears behind her and... Grayson says, you won't last a month in this house. In fact, I'd lay money that you're gone within the week. Dude, that's, that's sus right there. Chapter 29. Libby found me shortly after I made my way back to my room, and she was holding a stack of electronics. She said, Alyssa said I should buy some things for you since you haven't bought anything for yourself. And she said, I haven't had time. 
I was exhausted, overwhelmed, and past the point of being able to wrap my mind around anything that had happened since I'd moved into Hawthorne House, including M- Emily. And then Libby says, lucky for you, I have nothing but time. A new laptop, tablet, and e-reader in case you need some escapism loaded with books. And Avery says, look at this place. My life is escapism at the moment. And then Libby said, have you seen the gym or the chef's kitchen yet? And she says, not yet. And then Libby says, Abe, there's something I need to show you. Just for the record, it's okay if you want to yell. Why would I? And then she pulls up a video of something Libby does on the tablet, and it's a video of Drake. And he's standing next to a reporter, and the words flash across the screen say, friends of the Graham's family. And he says, Avery was always a loner. She didn't have friends. I'm not saying she was a bad person. I think she was just kind of desperate for attention. She wanted to matter. Let's just say there were definitely issues. And then Libby cuts off the video. And Avery says, can I see that? Because she wants to see what else he said about her. And Libby said, that's the worst of it. Do you want to yell now? And so she's swiping through these lists of interviews. And one comes up. And they were mostly just former classmates, co-workers, and even Libby's mom. But one came up that said Sky Hawthorne and Zara Hawthorne. And what did they say? Zara said, our father was a great man. He was a revolutionary entrepreneur, a once-in-a-generation philanthropist, and a man who valued family above else. As we grieve his passing, rest assured that we will not see his life's work die with him. The Hawthorne Foundation will continue operations. My father's numerous investments will undergo no immediate changes. While we cannot comment on the complex legalities of the current situation, I can assure you that we are working with the authorities, elder abuse specialists, and a team of medical and legal professions to get to the bottom of this situation. And then Zara says, Our father was our hero. We will not allow him in death to become a victim. To that end, we are providing the press with the results of a genetic test that proves conclusively that contrary to the libelous reports and speculations circulating in the tabloids, Avery Grams is not the result of infidelity of the part of our father who was faithful to his beloved wife, our mother, for the entirety of their marriage. We are a family... We as a family are as bewildered at recent events as you are, but Janes don't lie. Whatever else else this girl might mean, she is not a Hawthorne. And then the video ends. And she remembers what Grayson had said. I'd laid my money that you're gone within the week. And then Libby said, she doesn't get to do that. Libby was a blue-haired, ponytail, gothic ball of fury. She can't just say whatever you want. Call Alyssa. You have lawyers. Avery said, I'll call Alyssa tomorrow. Right now, I'm going to bed. So chapter 30 starts off with someone saying they don't have a legal leg to stand on. I didn't have to call Alyssa in the morning. She showed up and found me. Rest assured, we will shut this down. My father will be meeting with Zara and Constantine later today. And Avery's like, who's Constantine? Zara's husband. Thea's uncle, I thought. They know that they're going to lose a great deal by challenging the will. Zara's debts are substantial and they won't be cleared if she files a suit. What Zara and Constantine don't know, and what my father will make very clear to them, is that even if a judge were to rule Mr. Hawthorne's latest will to be null and void, the distribution of his estate would then be governed by his prior will, and that will left the Hawthorne family even less than this one. Just traps upon traps. And so she asks, how long ago did he write this will? And she said, 20 years ago in August. The entire estate was to go to charity. And she thinks, 20 years? That was longer than any of the Hawthorne grandsons except Nash had been alive. He disinherited his daughters 20 years ago and never even told them? Alyssa says, apparently so. 
And Alyssa also said, the firm record shows that Mr. Hawthorne also legally changed his name 20 years ago last August. Prior to that, he had no middle name. I'm going to read a paragraph. It says, Tobias Hawthorne had given himself a middle name at the same time he disinherited his family. Tattersall. Tatters all. Given everything that Jameson and Xander had told me about their grandfather, that seemed like a message. Leaving the money to me and before me to charity wasn't the point. Disinheriting his family was. And Avery asked, what happened 20 years ago in August? And then Alyssa says, Mr. Hawthorne and his wife lost their son that summer. Toby, he was 19 and the youngest of his children. Toby had taken several friends to one of his parents' vacations homes and there was a fire. Toby and three other young people perished. So then she remembered at the will that Zara had said that something about Toby having died and then Skye had said that he disappeared. So she asked, why would Skye say that Toby had disappeared? And Alyssa said, between the fire and a storm that night, Toby's remains were never def definitely found. And she says, couldn't Zara and Skye have their lawyers argue that the old will was invalid too, written under duress or he was mad with grief or something like that? Then Alyssa said, Mr. Hawthorne signed a document reaffirming his will yearly. He never changed it until you. And she says, how long ago was that? Last year. Then Alyssa says, now, if your curiosity is satisfied, I'd like to return to more important matters. I believe my father can get a hand on Zara and Constantine. Our biggest remaining issue is your sister. And Avery's like, Libby? Well, it's to everyone's benefit that she lays low. And then Avery asks, how could she possibly lay low? This was the biggest story on the planet. Alyssa said, for the immediate future, I've advised her to stay on the estate. Eventually, she could think about charity work if she'd like, but for the time being, we need to be able to control the narrative. And your sister has a way of drawing attention. And then it says, I wasn't sure if that was a reference to Libby's fashion choices or her black eye. And she says, my sister can wear whatever she wants. And then Alyssa said, this is a delicate situation, especially with the press and Libby. But Avery says, she hasn't even talked to the press. And then, she's, and then Alyssa says, but Drake has. Her mother has. Both are looking for a way to cash in. I don't need to tell you that most lottery winners find their existence made miserable as they drown in requests and demands from families and friends. You are blessedly short on both. Libby, however, is another matter. So everyone knows that like Libby has like a giving, caring like personality. So they're all trying to come to her to try to get money out of Avery for them. Like, I don't know. They're probably offering her like, remember when I did this for you? And you said you'd repay me. Or remember when I did this for you when you needed help? And they're probably coming to ha her with all these, like, reminders of stuff she did for them to try to get money from her that was from Avery. Then Alyssa said, We might consider a one-time payment to the mother, along with a non-disclosure agreement preventing her from talking to you or Libby or the press. And then Avery says, Fine, but I'm not giving anything to Drake. And then Alyssa smiled and said, him all muzzle for fun. And she says, in the meantime, I've assembled some key information for you and I have someone coming this afternoon to work on your wardrobe and appearance. And she's like, my what? And then Alyssa said, Libby, as you said, can wear whatever she wants, but you unfortunately don't have that luxury. You're the real story here. Looking the part is always step one. And so she says, I have no idea how this conversation has started with legal and PR issues, detoured through Hawthorne family tragedy, and ended with me being told by my lawyer that I needed to make over. And then she starts to leave, and Alyssa says, where are you going? And she says, doesn't this place have a bowling alley? 
Chapter 31. It really was a bowling alley in my house. There was a bowling alley in my house. As promised, there were only four lanes, but otherwise it had everything you'd expect a bowling alley to have. There was a ball return, pin setters on each lane, a touchscreen to set up the games, and 55-inch monitors overhead to keep track of the score. Emblazoned on it all, the balls, the lanes, the touchscreen, the monitors, was an elaborate letter H. I tried not to take that as a reminder that none of this was supposed to be mine. And then there's a rack of shoes. And there she said there was at least 40 pairs of shoes. Like, seriously, I'm sure the family is the only people that go bowling. And yet they need 40 pairs of shoes. Why not just, like, get the pair of shoes you need and then use them? I don't know. Did your feet grow, like, every few years or something in size? So as you do when you go bowling, you put your initials into the scoreboard so we can keep track for you. So she put in her initials, A-K-G. That's almost my initials. My initials are A-K-T, but hers are A-K, just one off. And then her name flashes above, welcome to Hawthorne House, Avery Kylie Grams. And it says the hairs on her arm stood up. Like someone had programmed her name into the system. That's creepy. You know, if that happened to me, I just would not want to go bowling anymore. I'm sorry, but... And then she asks, like, out loud, she says, Was it you addressing the words to Tobias Hawthorne? He he's dead, honey. He's dead. Okay, so she picks up a bowling ball, a 10-pound one, with a silver H on a dark green background. Back home, the bowling alley had offered 99-cent bowling, bowling once a month. My mom and I went every single time. So she's just trying to process everything and she threw the ball hard and harder than she should have and hit only two pins. So she says, five games later, I was covered in sweat and my arms were aching. I felt good, good enough to venture back out into the house and go hunting for the gym. She said an athletic complex might have been a more accurate term. There was a basketball court, there was weight benches, half a dozen workout machines. There was a door on the back wall that led to something else. And she opened it, and it was a rock climbing wall stretched out two stories overhead. A figure grappled with a near vertical section of the wall at least 20 feet up with no harness. And it was Jameson. And he said, ever climbed one of these before? And, like, he didn't even have to look down to know she was there. And then she walked over to the wall, planted her feet at the base, and did a quick survey of the available hand and footholds. First time, she said, but I'm a quick learner. So she starts to climb and makes it until her feet were about six feet off the ground before the wall jutted out at an angle designed to make things difficult. I braced one leg against a foothold and the other against the wall and stretched my right arm for a handhold a fraction of an inch too far away, and she missed. And then Jameson's, like, laughing at her, kind of, like, and then a hand grabs down and pulls her up, and he says, you can drop or I can try to swing you up. And so she tells him to drop to drop her and so she lets go and she falls so she watches him until he climbs up to the very top of the wall and then she feels like she's being watched and then she finds grayson was sneaking up on her and then she says she says you don't scare me grayson hawthorne or she's thinking that i forced myself to turn away and swallowed and called up to jameson i'll see you in the library to find more books that probably don't exist with wrong covers. So then they head back towards the library and apparently Grayson's following him, following them. And Grayson said to Jameson, what are we doing today? And Jameson shot back, we? 
And he says, can't an older brother spend time with his younger brother and an interloper of dubious intentions without getting the third degree? And I translated that to, he doesn't trust us. And then Jameson said, I'm such a delicate flower in need of protection and constant supervision. And then Grayson said, undaunted by sarcasm, so it would seem, what are we doing? And then Jameson said, Eris and I are following a hunch, doubtlessly wasting amounts of time on what I'm sure you would consider to be nonsensical flapdoodle. And then Grayson frowned and said, I don't talk like that. And then Grayson said, and what hunch are the two of you following? And she says, we think your grandfather's letter to Jameson included a clue about what he was thinking. What he was thinking, Grayson repeated, and why he left everything to you. And then Jameson said, it sounds fun, doesn't it? It sounds just like him. One last game. And then Grayson said, frankly, Jamie, I'm surprised you still feel that you know the man at all. Jameson says, I'm just full of surprises, and you can leave any time, Gray. Grayson says, I think not. Better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Or is it? Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And at this point, I was like, well, what? He read the letter? And then Jameson said, oh, he left you the same message, the same clue. Grayson said, not a clue, just an indication that he wasn't in his right mind. And then Jameson whirls on him and he said, you can't believe that. But a judge might, he, he'll use his letter against you if he can, in court, if they were ever to take her to one. And then Avery says, there was another will before this one. Your grandfather left your family even less in that one. He didn't disinherit you for me. He disinherited the entire Hawthorne family before you were even born, right after your uncle died. Then Jameson said, you're lying. Grayson said, she's not. And Grayson said, you may as well tell me what you think that for letter means, Jamie. And why, Jameson said through gritted teeth, would I give away the game like that? And then Grayson said, You do realize, Jamie, that I'm capable of staying here with the two of you in this room indefinitely. As soon as I see what you're up to, you'll know I'll reason it out. And I will. I was raised to play, same as you. And then um, Jameson said, It's up to the interloper of dubious intentions. And then Avery says, He can stay. And then Jameson says, All right, heirs, as you wish. Chapter 33 starts off with, I'd known that things would go faster with an extra set of hands, but I hasn't anticipated what it would feel like to be shut in a room with two Hawthorns, particularly these two. So they're just minding their, all their own business. They're going through the books. They're taking the covers off. They're checking, and then they're putting the covers back on and grabbing another shelf. Grayson said, there's nothing here. Jameson said, coincidentally, you also don't have to be here. And then Jameson said, coincidentally, you also don't have to be here. And he... Grayson says, if she's here, I'm here. And Jameson said, Avery doesn't bite, which she notices is the first time that he's actually said her name. And then Grayson says, Jamie, just shut up and keep looking. And so they all did that. Book off, cover off, cover on, book were shelved. So the hours ticked by and they just kept working. And Jameson said, my brother's grieving for her grandfather. Surely you can understand that. He's a sensation seeker, pain, fear, joy. It doesn't matter. He's hurting and he needs the rush of the game. He needs for this to mean something to him. And Avery says, you don't, and you think don't think it does. And then he says, I don't think that you have to be the villain of the story to be a threat to this family. And then Avery said, you keep talking about the rest of the family, but this isn't just about them. It's a threat to you because I'd inherited his fortune. I was living in his house. His grandfather had chosen me. And Grayson said, I am not threatened. And then Jameson said, Eris? And she said, yeah, I think I found something. So they found it. They found a 
I guess they didn't. Jameson found a book. A book that doesn't match its cover. They found it. And then, so, the co the cover set was titled Sail Away, but the actual book was titled The Tragic History of Dr. Faustus. Faust, I said. Jameson replied, the devil you know or the devil you don't. So, then she starts to flip through the pages of the book and she finds a translucent red square taped to the inside cover and she said jameson there's something in here so it says grayson must have been listening to us down below but he said nothing jameson was beside me in an instant he brought his finger to the red square it was thin made of some kind of plastic film maybe four inches on each side and she asked what it is and jameson or er, not jameson grayson said that it was filter paper Red acetate, a favorite of our grandfather's, particularly useful for revealing hidden messages. I don't suppose the text of that book is written in red? So then she flipped through the book. It's black ink. And she said, did your grandfather have a habit of writing in books? And Jameson said, in a first edition of Frost? So then she finds some circled um, words in the book. She finds A, there is... And Jameson grabs a pen off a nearby shelf. He didn't have any paper, so he started writing the words in the back of his hand. She says, keep going. A again. There is again. Way. Nothing, nothing, nothing. That's it. And so Jameson looks at what he wrote on his hand. Where A, there is A, there is way. So they're like, what are we supposed to do with this? Change the order of the words? And then Jameson thinks, where there is a will, there is a way. We're missing a word where there's a will, there's a way. They're missing the word will. Will, as in the will. And then someone says, when you look through a colored filter, lines of that color disappear. It's the one way the writing hidden messages work. You layer the text in different colors. The book is written in blacking, so the actate isn't meant to be used on this book. And then Grayson said, hence the message in the book directing us to where we might use the film. And then Avery thinks, where there's a will, there's a way. And then Avery said slowly, what do you think the chances are that somewhere there's a copy of your grandfather's will written in red ink? Well, chapter 34 starts off with Avery explaining that she asked Alyssa about the will, if there was a one that was written in red ink. And says, I have expected her to look at me like I'd lost my marbles, but the second I said the word red, her expression shifted. She informed me that a viewing of the red will could be arranged, but first I had to do something for her. That something ended up involving a brother-sister stylist team carting what appeared to be the entire inventory of Saks Fifth Avenue into my bedroom. Is that Saks? I don't know how to say that. Okay, so the female stylist was tiny and sat next to nothing. The man was six foot six, good grief, and kept up a steady stream of observations. Hmm, you can't wear yellow, you can't wear orange or cream, but most every other option is color. Every other color is an option. There's bright pastels, earth tones. You gravitate towards solids. And then she just looks at her clothes. A gray t-shirt and her second most comfortable pair of jeans. I like simple. And then the woman mutters, simple is a lie. And then besides her, Livy's laughing. And, and Avery says, you're enjoying this, aren't you? And then she notices that she, she's wearing a black dress, which was Libby enough, but the style would have fit right in at a country club. And then she's like, you don't have to change how you... And then Libby says, they bribed me with boots. And then there's leather boots in shades of purple, black, and blue. Ankle-length, calf-cutted, even one pair of thigh-highs. So apparently she's obsessed with boots. 
Also, Libby added creepy lockets. If a piece of jewelry looked like it might be haunted, Libby was there. And then Avery says, you let them make you, make you over in exchange for 15 pairs of boots and some creepy lockets? Libby added, and some incredible soft leather pants. Totally worth it. I'm still me, just fancy. And then the brother and sister stylist team are just, like, starting saying stuff like, we should change her hair, don't you think? Uh, thick, not quite wavy, not quite straight. You could go either way. No shorter than two inches below your chin, no longer than mid-back. Gentle layers wouldn't hurt. I suggest you disown her if she opts for bangs, she tells. He's, oh, he tells Libby that. I suggest you disown her if she opts for bangs. Dude. Hmm. Yes. Let's just disown my sister because she got bangs and I don't like them. Okay. And then Libby said, I'll take that under consideration. Like, seriously, that'd be like me saying that if I told my sister that I didn't like her hair long or short, I can disown her. Technically, I can't really disown her because I'm not her legal guardian, but whatever. I can make it happen. I wouldn't, though, because that's just weird. Do people actually do that? I hope not. That'd be horrible. Okay, back on to the book, because that's the whole main point of this podcast. And now we're talking about disowning family members, okay? Let's get back to the story. So then they basically start to show her a bunch of outfits, and it's just basically describing all the clothes. I'm not going to really go over that. So they're just showing her, like, clothes options for what she has to wear, like, I guess out in public or when she's seen, because her, the way she dresses, I guess, has a view of her story and all of that. So, and then Xander comes in after some point, and then they're talking about how she doesn't like all this makeovers and stuff. And then Avery mumbles and she's like, what do you know about makeovers? If I were a guy, there'd only be two racks of clothing in this room. And then Xander said, and if I were white, people wouldn't look at me like I'm half a Hawthorne. Scone. So I don't think it mentioned this before, but I guess he's biracial. I'm pretty sure that's the word for it. Like, when one parent might be a different race and one parent and the other might not, or like they're from two different races, but I don't think they ever mentioned that before. So it's kind of interesting how they're giving like appearance details. They're still waiting till like the middle of the story to give details. Like we literally just learned in this chapter that her hair is like brown and kind of wavy, but also kind of straight. And so like, it's kind of interesting how we're still like learning how the characters look like, even though we've already met them. And sometimes I don't like that personally, because then I'll start to imagine the character and then I'm gonna get it completely wrong. And then it's just like, well, what am I supposed to do now? (laughs) I just, mm, okay, keep going, keep going. And then Avery says, can I have one of the blueberry scones? her version of a peace offering and Xander hands her a lemon one and says let's not get ahead of ourselves so she finally picked her clothes picked her hair and she asks Libby what she thinks and Libby looked up and gave me a deer in headlights look that I recognized too well and she saw that Drake is sending her messages she's not answering but he's sending her messages and Libby says you look fine and then Zara comes in A smile as cool as winter colors she wore. Avery, might I have a word? Chapter 35. Zara didn't speak immediately once the two of us were alone. I decided that if she was going to break the silence, I would. You talk to the lawyers. 
I did, Sarah said, and now I'm talking to you. I'm sure you can forgive me for not doing so sooner. As you can imagine, this has all come as a bit of a shock. A bit? Avery snorted. You held a press conference strongly suggesting that your father was senile and that I'm under investigation by the authorities of elder abuse. And then Zara says, yes, well, you can thank your legal team for not making certain realities appear sooner. And then Avery said, if I get nothing, you get nothing. And then... Okay, next part. I'm not sure how much Alyssa has told you, but in addition to your father's personal assets, you also have inherited control of the family's foundation. It's one of the largest private charitable foundations in the country. We give away upward of $100 million a year. And she's like, $100 million? And she asks, every year? And Zara smiles and said, compound interest is a lovely thing. And here's a paragraph. A hundred million dollars a year in interest. And she was just talking about the foundation, not Tobias Hawthorne's personal fortune. For the first time, I actually ran the math in my head. Even if taxes took half of the estate, I don't. I only average a 4% yield. I'd still be making nearly a billion dollars a year doing nothing. That was just wrong. And Avery asks, who does the foundation give its money to? And Zara says, the Hawthorne Foundation invests in children and families, health initiatives, scientific advancements, community buildings, and the arts. And then Zara said, I've spent my entire adult life running this foundation. There are organizations that rely on our support. If you intend to exert yourself, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And I'd like to show you how to do it, if you're going to take it over. And she, Avery asks, does the foundation, foundation, does the foundation pay you? And she says, I draw a salary commensurate with the skills I bring. And then Avery says, well, I guess I want to be involved, but not just for show. I want to make decisions. She thinks homeless, poverty, domestic violence, access to preven preventative care. What can I do with $100 million a year? But like, think about it. This girl is coming from a family that didn't have a lot of money, and she's excited about this because now she can help you know, she could help other people who were like her. And Zara says, you're young enough to believe that money solves all ills. And Avery's thinking, spoken like a person so rich, you can't imagine the way of problems money can solve. Zara says, if you're serious about taking a role at the foundation, I can teach you what you need to know. Monday, after school, at the foundation. Hmm. The door opened before I could ask what exactly the foundation was. Oren took up position beside me. Then she remembered what he had said. The women will try to come after you in the courtroom, he told me. But now Zara knew that she couldn't come after me legally. And my head of security didn't want me in this room with her alone. And here is the last chapter that we'll be going over, chapter 36. The next day, Sunday, Oren drove me to Ortega, McNamara, and Jones to see the Red Will. Avery, Alyssa said. You said I was the firm's only client, I commented. Exactly how big is this firm? Alyssa said, there's a few div different divisions. My Hawthorne assets were quietly diversified. That requires a diverse array of lawyers. Then Alyssa shows her to the red will. How much company do we have today? And she said, and by company, she probably meant paparazzi. And by we, she probably meant me. And Orrin said, it's tapered off a little, but odds are good that they'll be piled outside the door by the time we leave. And then she said, if we ended the day without at least one headliner that said something about the lines of world's richest teenager lawyers up, I'd eat a pair of Libby's new boots. So then they reach the will. And there's a desk. And on the desk, there is a 
book, like, not a book, like a will. And as she gets closer, the type jumble, jumped out at me, red. Alyssa said, my father was instructed to keep this copy here and show it to you or the boys if one of you came looking. I looked back at her, instructed, I repeated, by Tobias Hawthorne. Naturally, she said. And then Avery remembers, where there's a will, there's a way. And then she resumes to moving the red act tape over the paper and words begin to disappear. Red text, red film. It worked exactly as Jameson and Grayson had described. If the entire will was written in red, all this was going to do was make every single word disappear. But if layered underneath the red text, there was another color, then everything written in that word would become visible. So she passes everything until she comes to where the will was get, telling what the grandsons had gotten. And she ran her film over it and four words remained. Westbrook, Davenport, Winchester, and Blackwood. Those are the four names. Those are the four middle names of the four Hawthorne sons. And it's just the middle names that are showing up in the red. And so I'll read the last um, paragraph. For the first time, I thought about the fact that all four of Skye's sons bore her last name, their grandfather's, their, her last name, their grandfather's last name. Hawthorne, Hawthorne. Each of the boys' middle names were also a surname. Their father's last names, I wondered. As my brain wrapped itself around that, I made my way through the rest of his document. Part of me expected to see something when I hit my own name, but it disappeared, just like the rest of the text. Everything except for the Hawthorne's grandson's middle names. Westbrook, Winchester, Davenport, and Blackwood, I said them out loud, committing them to memory. And then I texted Jameson and wondered if he would text Grayson. Because apparently he's in on it now. So that is it. That is chapters 25 through 36 of The Inheritance Games, written by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. Hope you guys enjoyed this, and be back next Monday for another episode at probably 12 o'clock. I think that's the time I've decided on in the afternoon. So... Um, thanks again for watching. If you have any friends, family you think might be interested in this book or just in this podcast in general, please share it with them. Please share it with a stranger if you want to. And um, on Spotify, if you want to leave a suggestion for a book or a book series that you might be interested in leaving, there's a like comment section on Spotify, but it's only available on Spotify that I know of that you can type that in and leave it there. So thanks again for listening and I'll see you next week.